Hello, and welcome to What Is My Podcast About? This is a podcast where we sit down on a fortnightly basis and discuss a topic to find out what our podcast is going to be about. My name is Peter Nathaniel Graves Akerley. Uh, I am our host for this, our host, I am the host for this podcast. Uh, and this is not me vamping, this is just how I talk normally. Uh, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew Stephen Grace. Hello. And Keith Edward Ramsey. I don't know if I like this. Uh, I realized last time, uh, <laughs> well, you guys called me up for the fact that every time I'm hosting, I make a point of saying my middle name because I just like the cadence of my name with my middle name. And you guys called me up for never using your middle names. So I made a note of what your middle names were, but then forgot to pull up the note until we started recording, which is why I had to vamp in the middle of our intro to find your guys' middle names. But you said you That's weren't vamping. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, magic. All right. Um, what were we doing? How are you guys doing? Now that we're past this awkward intro, why are the intros always awkward when it's not Keith doing it? Uh, how are you guys doing? <laughs> the living. That's all I can say. You know what? I respect that. I'm glad you're still living, Matthew. How about you, Keith? Uh, just doing the normal stuff. Uh, the only one bringing information to these pre-episodes, I guess. Fuck you. Be better. <laughs> Matt's all right just living. I need you to rise above the chaff and thrive. Um, okay. Uh, so, Matt, what? just like what's going on in your day-to-day -day life? I'm not going <laughs> to give Keith the joy of being the only one who participates in the beginning conversation. So, I don't know. Like, what did you do today? What did you have for lunch, Matt? Uh, I had a bagel. Ooh, a bagel. Nice. Yeah. Nice bagel. Okay. I didn't have anything cool to talk about anyways. From yep. your local bakery. Delicious. Ooh, do Fresh you want to know what I had bagel. for lunch? What did you have for I lunch? Ha I had cotton candy flavored craft dinner. Wait, uh what? Yeah, uh so craft dinner has these new like flavor booster things which are like a packet of like flavor crystals. I guess it essentially looks like a pack of Kool-Aid uh, that you add to your craft dinner after you're done making your craft dinner. The only difference uh, is this it... is based in cheese. Yeah, this is a cheese-based Kool-Aid type yeah, thing. Yeah, not sugar. <laughs> oh um, uh, so instead of uh, so, there's a couple different flavors. There's like a jalapeno one. I think there's a ghost pepper one. Uh, there's like poutine and butter chicken, uh, and there's cotton candy. And when there's I went to the grocery wings. store, oh, and buffalo wings. That's the other flavor. Yeah, and when I went to the store to like pick up some flavoring for my craft dinner, uh, they were out of every single flavor uh, except for the cotton candy, and I was curious to try the flavoring, so I got the cotton candy, and it was a trip. Man, that's like the uh, macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream coming to the U.S. Oh, you're right, it is. Uh, do you guys I know really there's hope also that? I really hope that doesn't come up here. Do you guys know about the Cheetos flavored uh, mac and cheese as well? Yes, I have yes. tried that stuff as well. I'm pretty uh, sure it's just crushed up Cheetos. That's what the powder is. It's it's not as good as crap. Like, unfortunately, I haven't tried all the flavors. I just tried their, like, golden cheesy one. Uh, because, once again, the grocery store I went to apparently got picked over by fucking everybody. And they only had the, like, original flavor bold and cheesy. It doesn't taste... I mean, it tastes like Cheetos... But in the sense that it tastes very fake cheesy, and uh, it's not the most pleasant pasta experience. I, that's my opinion. 
I think we've boxed Keat out of the conversation <laughs> enough now. Yeah, let's, What's let's going on in the, the world? Let's move past well, that. Maybe I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, then I can share some information about games that are getting released. Uh, no, no, well, I, I, I got released. this. I got this. I got this. Okay, thank you. Uh, so I'm not actually going to talk about games, but we did get an announcement and a trailer for the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. Yeah, I saw that. It uh, It's looking like it's going to be pretty solid. Uh, am I the only one that got uh, Shane Black vibes from the trailer? Probably. Most likely, I considering I haven't seen the trailer yet. Yeah, it's, you know, the classic Shane Black of it's an action movie with some humorous dialogue set in the Christmas-ish period. Like, you know, Iron Man 3 or Lethal okay. Weapon. Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of those vibes. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Set to, I guess it was kind of set during the Christmas period. I didn't really think of that until now. It's always in the background for Shane Black, more often yeah. than not. But yeah, I am actually... I don't think Hawkeye is going to be the best thing Disney puts out, but I think it's going to be the most fun thing Disney's going to put out. Yeah, I definitely... Like, I get the feeling it's not going to be the one people are theorizing about on the weekends. Uh, I don't know why I specified the weekends. Uh, the weeks between episodes. But I get the feeling it's going to be a very enjoyable thing to watch. But what if the madman at Disney decide this is what we're revealing Mephisto in. I'd be into it. <laughs> if this was the final Mephisto thing. The like first series they have where no one uh, theorizes about Mephisto is the one where they throw Mephisto into. And then they just have like, Hawkeye kill Mephisto at the end. What if they've like written a Mephisto plotline like uh, like the final episode of each series has had Mephisto written into it uh, but, like, as a separate episode that they shot and filmed and edited to potentially release. And then the moment people theorize about Mephisto, they delete the episode from their fucking uh, servers and just get ready to go with the non-Mephisto plotline until someone finally uh, gets uh, stops theorizing about Mephisto. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. Yeah, uh... Hawkeye is something to look forward to November 24th. So it is going to be the holiday season as well. Yep. Yes, we are approaching that time again. Well, it's uh, spooky month next, so. Yes. Good old Spooktober. Spooktober is the barrier between uh, uh, Mariah Carey and the rest of the year. Thank God it, Mariah Carey has only tried traveling uh, backwards through the year. If she tries to carry forwards and we just never hear Mariah Carey stop after Christmas uh, until we get back to Spooktober and there's just one month where we don't hear Mariah Carey, um, that would be unpleasant. So I'm glad that's not where we're at with our world. Uh, now, there was one other big thing that actually happened since we last got together and did this, uh, but Sony had their game show presentation thing yeah uh, uh, uh we did uh, i recognize what you're trying to say saying it's a game show presentation makes it sound like it's a game show where they were like getting people to guess words on a big screen um i mean I, it's some, of the, some of the trailers are kind of like that yeah i guess so uh i take back my uh comment yeah uh Two of the things I'm very excited for is we're getting uh, Knights of the Old Republic remake. So this is the original Bethesda game. I am very excited for that. Um, 
one of the key details to note here is it's not a remaster. They're not making the same game, but making it look better. They're fully remaking it from the ground up. So you can expect uh, fairly significant changes from the base game. Uh, like they've hired uh, new writers to completely rewrite the plot with it following similar beats. So I don't know. It, it'll be different, but hopefully it'll still have all the good times that we had with uh, KOTOR. Yeah, like the Final Fantasy VII remake effect, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, also, Alan Wake is getting a remake. Now, I'm excited for this, but I'm more excited for the implications of what this could mean. How so? Uh, like a so, new Alan Wake series? Uh, so have you guys played the Alan Wake games? Uh, Alan Wake nope. and uh, Alan Wake American Nightmare? Nope. Because when you first told me about them, you also mentioned that they were horror games. Kind of. Uh, I've played a little bit of them, but they never really grabbed my attention. So the Alan Wake video game ends with a cliffhanger that American Nightmare kind of fills in what's going in, but doesn't resolve it. And the games didn't get popular until after Remedy had already kind of moved on to the next thing. So unfortunately, they wanted to do a sequel to Alan Wake, but they couldn't. So they made American Nightmare to kind of tie things over and then went on to do Quantum Break. So people are speculating that because they're doing a remake now, it could be to get attention back on the franchise so they can then make Alan Wake 2. That idea. Um, one of the games I saw from the PlayStation game show, as we're now calling it, um, is uh, Thor Ragnarok. Or not Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> uh, God of War Ragnarok, uh, With which Boy. also looks fucking sick. A lot of people were upset that Thor wasn't Marvel Thor for some reason. Uh, yeah, like they thought the epitome of Thor was Marvel Thor. Uh, like uh, the other thing comment I saw is like a lot of people were referring to Thor as uh, Fat Thor, uh, which honestly is actually pretty close to Marvel Thor right now. So it's weird that they're upset about that. Uh, but he's less so th fat and more so like. Uh, had, do you guys know what I mean when I talk about like the bodybuilder body, or not the bodybuilder, but like the strongman body as opposed to bodybuilder body? Yeah. yeah. Where like the bodybuilder's got like the trapezoid-shaped body and it's all rippling abs and stuff, but like the strongman who actually knows how to like lift a fucking bus, like their chest just looks like a barrel, and that's pretty much what fucking Thor's got going on well, here. It's less. And North mythology, Thor is literally a, a gluttonous like jackass, essentially too. Yeah. He's the kind of guy who just fucking takes what he wants and consumes it without caring about other people. Uh, and I, given how the previous, uh, first of all, how the original series of God of War handled the Greek gods and how the most recent God of War game not only handled the uh, Norse mythology, but also just how the game as a whole handled being a game. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to this game and seeing what it does with Freya and Thor and all of them. It should be a it should be a fun experience for everyone. Yeah. You know what else looks like a it could be a fun experience when it comes out. What's that? Is uh, the PlayStation's announced game Forspoken? What is Forspoken? Um. Well, as we all know. Being the weebs we are. I don't know what you're referring to. Never this is a very clearly either. not weeb podcast. What does that word um, even mean? It, it it sounds so foreign. 
Well, uh, uh, well, it's. I think it's the Americanized pronunciation of otaku. If that helps explain it, Keith. Those don't sound anything alike. Yeah, but anyway, uh, moving moving on. Um, <laughs> it's essentially isekai the game. So main character gets transported to a high fantasy styled world and gets magical powers. And uh, don't really have too much information on the game at the moment, but the game just looks phenomenal. Uh, so how early in the game do you get hit by the bus? Um, well, the description here says that, uh, you go through a portal from on a bus, so not necessarily hit by a bus, but transported via bus, I guess. Hmm. I guess. I don't know what I guess. That was a weird choice of word, but I guess. Um, yeah, I had honestly heard nothing about this game before today. Uh, and if you ask me about it tomorrow, I will probably still have heard nothing about it. Fair enough. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. Some of the best games are the ones that you know nothing about, so you have no expectations, and they are only positive experiences. Yeah. You I mean, know what game announced that I have great expectations for that's going to be revolutionary? Grand Theft Auto uh, Five for the PlayStation 5! Oh my god. Oh, I thought you were going to refer to uh, Skyrim Anniversary Edition uh, coming out in November. Um, <laughs> oh, you mean Skyrim Legendary Edition Legendary Edition? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's uh, Skyrim now with preloaded mods is what it is. Uh, honestly, the way he said the game he has great expectations for, I thought he was suggesting they were going to make an adaptation of the Charles Dickens book, Great Expectations. <laughs> and I was like, how does that even work as a game? But all right, yeah, I'm down. Let's see what this is. You'd be surprised. Uh, I don't know. I don't like that that's the way my brain works. And I jumped to the conclusion that it was a great expectation game. But uh, yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, there was another interesting... Now, uh, I'll step back a little bit. So, Spider-Man 2 got announced, made by Insomniac, so the guys who made the last two Spider-Man games for Sony. That's pretty cool, because that's coming out in 2023. It looks like we're getting Craven the Hunter and Venom in this one. Nice. But the thing that's interesting as well is the fact that Insomniac is also going to be doing a Wolverine game. So could we be getting close to a video game connected universe? Oh... The Marvel, uh, the MVGU, the Marvel video game universe? Yep. Uh, I don't know about that. Movies are one thing, but spending 90 to $100 for each installment of a game in a cinematic game universe oh, especially a little with, too much. Especially where the way the cinematic universe works and like you don't have to, but it's highly encouraged to consume all the media so you notice all the little interconnections. So the idea that like you would be encouraged to buy every single one of the AAA games that comes out so you can notice all the connections to every other one of the AAA games that they've released. And the yeah. end amount of DLC on top of that. True. You're right. Um... Regardless, the fact that Insomniac is making a Wolverine game, I am actually very confident this is going to be a good game. Yeah. Uh, did we actually see anything in the Marvel game, or was it just like a teaser trailer? Uh, so both of them had no gameplay. It was teaser. 
so the Wolverine one was it's a, clearly there was a bar fight and a guy stands up, pulls out a knife, and he's walking over to the guy, and then it goes in on his hand, and then the claws shoot out, and then just the title Wolverine pops up on screen. Okay, yeah, I wasn't expecting there to be an actual gameplay trailer of Spider-Man Two, uh, but then again, like well, Spider-Man Two was like them beating up a bunch of thugs essentially. Well, there's like a guy in the background talking about hunting the greatest thing ever. And everything's been sure. a letdown, and then it pans over, and then it shows uh, something walking out of an alleyway, and then it reveals Venom. Fair. So, uh, yeah, that one I wasn't expecting a gameplay trailer, but given we know what the gameplay for the first Spider-Man game was like, and just the idea that both Venom and Kraven the Hunter are being included, uh, like, leads me to believe it's going to be a solid game no matter what. Uh, Wolverine, I, I'm curious to know what that game would be just because like with spider-man there's the built-in extra shit going on like it's not all fighting crime there's stuff where you're investigating or working on fucking science stuff like there's other stuff they can work it in so it doesn't just feel like you're going from one fight to another fight there's other stuff going on i'm curious to see how they handle a wolverine game because with that character it feels very much like you would be just going from one fight to another fight um it Not depends. that I'm saying it's going to be bad. I'm just curious to see how they're going to handle the game. Uh, that being said, with my what I said about Spider-Man 2, if they fully twist the script and instead of playing as Spider-Man, you're literally playing the entire game as Kraven hunting Spider-Man, I would be so into that, I can't put <laughs> it into fucking words. Yeah, and for the Wolverine one, like I, I think if we're expecting it to be it's in a city and we're running around as Wolverine, I don't think that will work. But there's oh, a lot yeah. of ways you could do it. Like, maybe it's a situation kind of like, you know, uh, the Tomb Raider games, uh, the more recent ones, where it's she's stuck on an island with, like, all the bad guys, right? And there's some level of, like, explorativity to it, where it's not so much that he's running around the city, it's an open world, but it's more of everyone's an enemy, kind of like a Far Cry game. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if they tried to set the Wolverine game in an urban environment. I, Wolverine he in made... New York. Yeah, Wolverine as a whole makes a lot more sense in rural or even, like, fucking uh, uncivilized areas makes a lot more sense. Um, I could even imagine it almost like a... Was Far Cry 4 the one where you hung out in uh, USA in, like, a cult city? Yeah. And everyone... Yeah. I could imagine it being kind of like Wait. that one, except not necessarily a cult, but just, like, a small town... A, like, wide rural area that's been taken over by, like, Sentinels or something like that. Uh, it was actually Far Cry 5. 4 was Megan Pin. Right. All right. So, Far Cry 5, then. Um, I could imagine it being something like that. Um, uh, that's all, all I was saying, though, is that I need to know more about the game before I get excited for the Wolverine game, just because we have seen Wolverine games in the past, or... Not necessarily Wolverine games, but we've seen like X Men games where you play as Wolverine, and it's literally just a side scroller beat 'em up. Even in 3D, it's a side scroller that's not uh, 2D uh, beat 'em up is what it ends up being. So I would want to see more of what the Wolverine game is before I decide whether or not I'm excited. That's fair. All right, is there anything else we should discuss before we uh, get into it? No, that's really the main things I want to talk about. Matt, do you have anything else? No, I think we should get into the ring right now. Okay. Uh, so, 
for my favorite listeners who don't bother reading ahead and get to find out at this point in the podcast what we're talking about. Uh, today's podcast is about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the newest Marvel movie. Thank God we can talk about new Marvel movies again. I know we started with Black Widow, but now we're actually getting into the season where they're going to be releasing new ones quite regularly. So this is a good time to be alive. Imagine my excitement when I learned that Marvel is releasing a martial arts-based superhero movie. Like, you mean they made a Iron Fist movie? Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Daredevil? Um, yeah, Daredevil? Um, yeah, no, this movie was... Alright, so before we talk about the plot, I just need to get this out of me. This movie was fucking sick. I enjoyed this movie immensely. Yeah, it was um, very different from everything else in like a refreshing way that was still Marvel, but they also didn't lean too heavy into the Marvel Universe being a thing. It was more so nods to it without it actually affecting anything. Yeah, it was... It, very well, like, yes, we referenced earlier in the idea of a Marvel video game universe, how you have to buy each game to notice all the little connections. This one was one that very much kind of stands on its own legs. There are some subtle references to other Marvel properties, and of course the post credit scene is a straight up, like, here are some other Marvel characters just to make things uh, interconnected again. But this movie itself didn't rely on too many other properties. The yeah. like biggest connection it has is to Iron Man three, and that's because it was fixing people's problem with Iron Man three. Um, what do you mean problem? Well, the biggest complaint everyone had with Iron Man three was that they did Mandarin dirty by making it just a British actor who was pretending to be a terrorist. Oh, he was a good guy. Ben Kingsley was great. You take that back. No, Ben's. I'm not saying Ben Kingsley wasn't great. I'm saying that that's what people most commonly complained yeah, about Iron Man were Three. That uh, they were promised Mandarin and got no Mandarin. Yeah, they were promised Mandarin and instead got uh, Extremis. They got uh, Orange. I mean, technically, they also didn't get the Mandarin in this one. Kind of got the Mandarin. It's just he wasn't called the Mandarin. They actually got the Ten Ring Society properly. Which is I, I do love that whole thing. It's like he called me the Mandarin. That's an orange. He had people scared of a uh, was it a chicken a dish. chicken dish? Yeah, that which I I did enjoy. Like they make a reference to like how he was uh, trading on fucking Wenwu's popularity. Uh, Wenwu being the leader of the Ten Rings and the owner of the Ten Rings, uh, two different concepts with the exact same name. Um, and uh, yeah, he was trading on his stock and like using his uh, infamy to make himself seem like a bigger deal, but just came up with the name of the Mandarin to help sell it, which like kind of fixes the fact that Mandarin is kind of a dumb name uh, and justifies it as it was a white guy trying to come up with an intimidating uh, East Asian name and named himself Mandarin. Um, so anyways, to get into the plot... Uh, yeah, because like, I was going to say... Uh... Well, based on what you were saying earlier, how this was kind of like when they first released Ant-Man, how they're introducing a new character or a new couple characters to the cinematic universe. And how we got Shang-Chi and his friend, uh, Katie, or Katie's name? Yeah. Yeah. Played Katie. by Aquafina. Yeah. And, like, I love their two characters at the beginning because, well, they're not who you'd expect right off the bat to be in a superhero movie. They're both they're both valet workers. 
their valets, driving cars, parking cars for a living. And, uh... Well, we not just from, parking uh, cars, but also joyriding in those cars that they are yes. parking. And we get from uh, Katie's family that uh, she's a disappointment to them because she likes her job as it is now and doesn't want to achieve anything more. Yep. She just, she's a disappointment because she's a disappointment. Let's just yeah. be real about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the she is not the most popular of uh, people among her parents. Yeah, and it just... So it actually opens with, like, the explanation of the Ten Rings and about how several thousand years ago uh, this guy found them and created an army and slowly started taking over the world without taking over the world. Also, they're very um, vague about where the rings came from. It's like, it was a tomb or a meteorite. And it's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. You're, you're trying to still figure out what you want to do with this. Uh, yeah, because in the comics, I think the, like, uh, most widely accepted explanation is that they came from Fin Fang Foom, who is an alien dragon from outer space. Well, not uh, specifically Fin Fang Foom, but his species, but Fin Fang Foom was on the spaceship that crashed that had the Ten Rings. Yeah. Uh, and Actually, I think he was of, the navigator, so good job there, Fin Fang Foom. Yeah, uh, and I believe... You Fing Fang uh, one, one of the alien dragons from outer space uh, was like buried in a tomb with the Ten Rings or something, and that's where the Mandarin originally found the Ten Rings, was in this tomb with an ancient dragon from outer space. Uh, sorry, ancient alien dragon from outer space. Uh, that's where he originally found the rings, like, in the comic books. Um, so they're, like, kind of leaving it open to, like, in the future, maybe they will go with Fin Fang Foom, maybe they won't call him that, because Chinese people fucking hate that name, because uh, it just sounds like a white guy making fun of Chinese names which is understandable why they would hate it. I mean, that's um, why they changed, like, in the comics, like, Fu Manchu and the Mandarin aren't that anymore. They're just, they've changed them. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it seems like they're leaving it open to introduce Fin Fang Foom in the next Shang-Chi movie, but just not calling him Fin Fang Foom to not upset, like, half the world's population. Um, so... Yes, they're very vague about where he got the rings from. They're leaving it open to decide how exactly they want to handle it. Also, just to like put it out there, they're less rings and more bracelets, but that's cool too. Um, they're ring-shaped, so I guess they're still technically rings. And it's just a um, question of when does a ring stop being a ring when you increase its size. Yeah, and if you're talking about mathematically, never, which is it cool. Doesn't. Like, Look at the rings of planets. They're huge. That's Saturn has rings, and they're much bigger than the rings that Wen Wu has. Yeah, you wouldn't say Saturn's bracelets. I might say Saturn's bracelets. I'm going to start referring to them as Saturn's <laughs> bracelets. <laughs> Man, you can really see the <laughs> bracelets on Saturn today. I, I, it just, like, not that the concept of Saturn's rings sound intimidating, but Saturn's bracelets just sound like they take any level of majesty or intimidation out of the concept it just makes saturn sound like a little girl just saying ah look at saturn's bracelets they're so big and pretty it makes Saturn uh, sound so delightful it makes saturn sound like the kind of person you'd like hang out with but like not too often because they're a bit much to hang out with they define their whole uh, personality by bracelets yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck i'm absolutely referring to them as bracelets from now on <laughs> So yeah, we get that whole explanation of how uh, this uh, warrior 
prince guy uh, found the rings. Not even really a warrior prince, just a warrior uh, found the rings and used them to amass a lot of power. And then he wanted to fight. make him immortal or something. And he broke out of a Dynasty Warriors game. Uh, yeah, he very clearly did break out of a Dynasty Warriors game in that he's one man charging into an army and just sweeping them out. Um, but yes, uh, so in the comics, uh, each of the rings provides one of ten different quote-unquote magical, but they're technically not magic. They're alien dragon from outer space technology. Well, it's the way Thor uh, explained it in the Thor movies. It's like, for you, it's magic. For us, it's science. Yeah, it's sufficiently... Any sufficiently advanced technology starts looking like uh, magic. Uh, and that's just what's going on here. Um, but yeah, each of the rings uh, in the comics provides a different effect. Uh, and one of those effects happens to be immortality. Uh, in the MCU version, it looks like they collectively provide uh, multiple effects together, and it just so happens that one of them is immortality. One of the effects you get from the whole set is immortality. Um, it's kind of implied in the comic books that if you like, you could steal like two or three of the rings and gain two or three of the powers. Whereas in the MCU, it seems kind of like they're a pack. Uh, uh... My brain no, stopped, but um, um, not necessarily because like jumping a little ahead a bit in near the end of the movie they are split they're kind of split but you can still tell that they're tied because there's that scene where they're like doing tug of war over the rings yeah and even though half of them are yellow and half of them are blue they're still interconnected between them also still linked together i think the implication too was that when Wu had no idea of the true potential of the rings either and was just kind of using them uh, so I think yeah. you're playing with the idea that what we, what the rings can fully do, we've not seen yet. Yeah, it's very heavily implied that the, uh, well, that he only got to tap the surface of the rings. Like, as we see, uh, jumping all the way to the end of the movie, because that's where we're at, because that's where you need to be to discuss the rings, I guess. Um, whatever Wen Wu uses the rings, they glow like a bluish color. Uh, and the only things we've ever seen him using the rings for is the kind of um, immortality that they give him, I guess, is one way. But then he uses them sort of like physical projections. Like, he uses them for essentially telekinesis, except it's not telekinesis, it's ring manipulation. Um, uses them and, as projectiles, uses them to punch hard, uses them to jump. And whips. Yeah, and essentially everything comes down to them just being used as projectiles, because when he uses them to punch, it's him punching, and then the ring shooting off as his arm, hitting someone, and then coming back to him. And when he uses them to jump, it's him throwing them into the ground, and the force that he throws them with launches him up in the air, and then he pulls them back to him. It essentially all just amounts to him using them physically. And then when Shang-Chi starts to take over the rings, they glow yellow, uh, which could just be a way of showing that different rings are controlled by different people. Mm-hmm. It could also be a way of hinting that Shang-Chi is just accessing a deeper power of theirs, which is why they glow yellow. I'm sure it has uh, nothing to do see... with the color-coded final fight of blue versus red. Of course not. Um, and then we also see him do essentially a Kamehameha with them, is uh, the other thing we see him do. Uh, so, like, in the brief time that Shang-Chi has access to the rings, we see him do things that Wenwu never did, so it's definitely implied that Wenwu was not using them to their full potential, and I don't think Shang-Chi has used them to their full potential yet either. I think that's in the next Shang-Chi movie, or movie that he appears in, 
uh, I think we're going to see more uh, interesting effects out of the rings. Yeah, this could be something along the lines of they're making it that... Because I don't think they're going to use the Ten Rings as just the Ten Rings. After all, they made the Tesseract and the Space Stone be the same thing in the Infinity Saga. I think we're yeah. to the point where we have to understand that Marvel is going to change things up and kind of combine or separate things. And it could be that the Ten Rings are going to be a key item, as implied at the end credits. But it could also be that there's a level of sentience or choice to it where like, you need to be like the chosen one, quote-unquote, to actually use its full power. Or it needs to accept you or something like that. Yeah, and we even get like a hint of... like. Shang-Chi being the quote-unquote chosen one, in that, like, in one of the flashbacks we see to him as a child, his mother's telling him he has the heart of the dragon in him, which could just be her way of telling him he's very brave, and he will need to be brave, or it could very well be, like, you are the one of prophecy, you have the heart of the dragon, or something like that. I've hidden the dragon's heart inside of you, don't tell Sean Connery. Yeah. So we don't know exactly how that's going to pay off, but that could very easily be something that they allude to in future movies. Good chance. Anyways, now that we've addressed the Ten Rings, back to where we were in the movie, which was the very fucking beginning. Um, we get told about the rings and about how uh, bad boy, cool guy, uh, Wenwu, that's his name, thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, no, go back to the last one. Uh, bad, boy, McCool, bad boy, McCool guy, uh, has been using the rings to slowly take over the world, but in a less obvious and overt way. Um, and then he becomes obsessed with the idea of Talo, uh, ancient magical mystical city uh, where he can gain the power of power. I, it was unclear exactly what he wanted from Talo, but it was clear he wanted it. Um, so he goes there and he meets a hot chick who's protecting Talo. And they get married and have two beautiful children who are then raised to be assassins. Yeah. Well, that's not entirely true. One was raised to be assassin. Oh, one taught himself to be an assassin. One yeah. was raised... Oh, sorry, so to add a little bit more context there. Uh, the, they were raised to be children at first uh, and be a happy raised family. Raised to be children? Yeah, they were raised to be children for all their lives. Uh, and then the mother died... Uh, and the boy was raised to be an assassin, and the girl was not raised from that point onward. She was forgotten about, and we don't care about her anymore, at least from Bad Boy McCool Dad's uh, perspective. Um, it is impressive, though, that she of... did train herself to be an assassin, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's very impressive that she trained herself to be as good as, like, all, not even as good as, better than uh, the people who were actually training at that stuff. Because, like, some of the stuff she had to train herself without anyone else was grapples and shit like that. And the fact that she could figure that out on her own and be better than people who trained with other people is very impressive. So anyways, we go to the modern day, and as Matt said, uh, joyriding teens uh, who are also valets. uh, And our disappointments to their mom. Yeah, I guess they're... uh, 20 like they're in their mid 20s because i believe sean said he was 16 when he got to america and aquafina's character katie said it's been about 10 years so i think they're mid to late 20s they're like 25 to 27 somewhere in that range is where they are uh based on dialogue lines which now makes me realize that apparently we're all older than shang chi and that's what have I done with my life that Shang-Chi, who is younger than me, has already saved the entire dimension from a beast from another dimension who wants to consume souls? No, it's okay. If you look at the comic, Shang-Chi's like, gotta be pushing like 90 at this point. 
Oh, thank God, I still have time. To <laughs> save the world from a beast from another dimension who wants to consume our souls, I guess, is what I'm going for here. You know what, um, Peter? I believe in you. Thanks, Keith. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> what is my life? <laughs> all right, so um, their life is pretty boring, uh, except for the fact that they go and do karaoke. Uh, they have a very fun line where they realize they have to work in the morning. They should probably go to bed. But and then smash cut to karaoke. Um, everyone has a good time. I had a good time. I don't know about anyone else. I was singing along, and the people around me kept shushing, which was not the lyrics to the song, but I guess they were doing their best. <laughs> the thing I also liked is the payoff to this one at the end too, where it's like it's yeah. the same thing. It's like, oh, we, like there's a lot of stuff. You guys are now, I guess, kind of members of the Avengers, so get ready for all the crazy shit. You should probably rest yeah. up. And it's like we could, but the Wong's there with them. Yeah, it's uh, your life's going to start accelerating faster than it ever has before. This is going to be a very tumultuous time in your life. Get lots of rest. And they're like, we could do that, but... And then it's Wong singing along to Hotel California with the rest of them. Pretty great. Yeah, I, pretty, I never realized uh, great. that Wong needs to be in more of this stuff until recently. Yeah, watching this, movie, watching this movie made you realize that Wong needs to be in the entirety of uh, the MCU. Oh, the Every single movie they Wong. made needs to feature Wong. The first time I saw Wong in Doctor Strange, I knew he had to be more prominent. Yeah. That's fair. Because when his whole fucking something is Wong. His whole fucking librarian scene. Uh, yeah, he's he's a good guy, and we should hang out with him more often, is what I'm trying to say. And by we, I mean the MCU. I mean, you just Uh, need to stop that demon from eating everyone's souls, and you're good. Cool. I feel like I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself, but I'll I'll do what I can. Uh, so after uh, light night of um, karaoke, thank you uh, for reminding me of the word. Uh, <laughs> they take the bus to work, and it's uh, nothing eventful happens because nothing eventful ever happens on a bus. Most movies have that classic uh, public transit scene just so that they can establish these are normal human beings like everyone else who also takes public transit. Nothing of importance ever Now, I'm going to stop you right there, Peter, because I've seen Speed 1 and 2. You're right. Also, uh, from my personal experience of being a normal human being who also takes public transit, it's always a fucking trip. uh, And that was not meant as a pun. I apologize, Matt. Uh, (laughs) Being on public transit because, like, it's always, there's, someone fucking insane on the bus every single time you take the bus so to say nothing eventful happens and is just misleading so anyways yes much like speed logged the whole uh the whole trip what the the dude who vlogged the whole trip you're right that is the plot major plot point that happens on the bus Uh, i'm gonna admit uh i laughed a little too hard at the i took karate once when i was a youth so i'm gonna critique this fight yep (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty fucking great line. Um, but yeah, that's like the major plot point that happens on the bus is uh, Buddy videotapes Shang-Chi and that's how his name gets out. Um, I think you mean Bus Boy. Yeah, sorry, Bus Boy. Uh, that's how they find out about Bus Boy. Uh, now, I, uh, I, I, it's clear Shang-Chi is going to be in Avengers 5 whenever that happens. I really do hope that they play, like they pay off that Bus Boy joke a bit further because... As far as the people of the public know, he's still busboy. Yeah, no one... Like, the Avengers are aware of the fact that... Or might not already be aware, but clearly some of them are aware 
and hopefully all of them will be aware of the fact that he bought the whole other dimensional beast that wants to eat souls. Uh, but I do hope he like appears in an Avenger scene in the public and like someone else is like, Shang-Chi, I need you to like get on top of that roof and fight uh, this uh, different interdimensional beast that also wants to eat souls. Cause that's what you're good at. Uh, and then one of the, the other people is like, like, Holy shit. Is that bus boy? <laughs> Also, I want them to have that exact voice that I just used. That was <laughs> on purpose is what I'm going with. Boss Boy's an Ad Avenger. Can anyone join now? Um, also, I like the idea that they're calling him Boss Boy for the sole reason of it doesn't sound like a guy who did something cool on a bus. It makes it sound like he works in a restaurant and buses dishes. And people are still impressed with that fact when they like enthusiastically refer to him as Boss Boy. Sometimes uh, you just have to have commitment to join the Avengers. Yeah. Uh, that, you know what? Actually, that's the exact scene I want. Is someone enthusiastically calling out, holy shit, Bus Boy is an Avenger. And then they have the one person who hasn't seen that YouTube clip be standing next to them. They're like, wait, that guy's a Bus Boy? How the fuck? What is the selection criteria for being an Avenger? It's been really um, low after a lot of them died or left. Yeah, it's fair. A bunch of them died, retired, went back in time. That whole They shit. have some slots they need to fill. Okay. Um, sorry, that one, like, I couldn't tell if Matt was making a pun when he said they have some slots to fill, and I, like, <laughs> did my, like, I broke my cardinal rule, which was, I went back and tried to find the pun in that sentence, which is why I paused for a second. Uh, I couldn't find it, so don't correct me if I'm wrong, there was no pun there. Um, so, obviously, Shang gets, well, beats up some people on a bus, uh, but gets his uh, favorite necklace stolen. So he has to by like, razor, razor fist. fist, razor fist. You're, thank you, thank you. I almost forgot to refer to him as razor fist, which uh, I was in the theater and I legitimately chortled when I saw that his name was razor fist because they just show a guy with a machete for a hand with like a like a cauterizing tip essentially, like it looks like it's a heated tip on a machete for his hand, and um, they don't like refer to him by name or anything like that. And then in a later scene, they steal his car, and it's very clear that his name is Razor Fist, because that's spray-painted on the side of his car. Also, it's an electric and, car. Yeah. Uh, and I, like, I legitimately laughed in the theater, because all I could think of when I saw Razor Fist was Taser Face from fucking Guardians of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> uh, so I was just sitting there fucking chuckling at, like, the like time he comes back with his car, and they're like, what's that? And he's like, yeah, well, I got, like, the machete for the hand, so I think I'm just gonna start... Uh, going by Razor Fist and like just the rest of his crew just fucking laughing at him for trying to change his name <laughs> to Razor Fist. Uh, so yes, they they he fights Razor Fist. Razor Fist takes his necklace. Uh, and so, uh, obviously Shang realizes that uh his father is coming after him, and he needs to track down his sister because uh, his sister also has a pendant that are they're apparently after, and he must warn her. Also, she recently sent him a postcard with just her address, obviously, like, in the from section, and then a picture of a kind dragon. of, like, origami dragon, essentially. Yeah. Like, it was a, what would happen if you folded origami to look like a dragon, is what it, she sent him. Um, and clearly that meant something to him, uh, so he went to go rescue her. Which is weird, because she did not need rescuing. Not at all. She, when she left their home, she started her own underground fight club. 
Well, Using... on top of that, through the whole movie, I think Shang-Chi saves her once, and she saves him three times. Yeah. yeah. She's clearly yeah. the better fighter. She's clearly the better sibling. Um, I shouldn't say that. There's no such thing as a good sibling. Um, <laughs> True. Sorry, uh, siblings of our viewership. Uh, don't worry, though. I know none of you are my sibling, because my siblings aren't good siblings. Uh, anyways, moving on. Uh, this isn't Peter's therapy hour. This is just uh, Peter talks a lot and forces other people to listen to him, save including for, you guys. Save it for the soul-devouring beast, Peter. You're right. Uh, oh, that'll be my motivation to really defeat the soul-devouring beast. And by defeat, I mean allow it to take my soul, because then the pain will go away. Um, so yeah, uh, goes to save his sister, realizing his sister runs a criminal organization and is also like kind of a cool lady. She seems to be doing pretty well for herself and also does not like Shang-Chi, uh, which is, you know, kind of justified based on the life that she had. Um, because, you know, as we mentioned, uh, when their mother died, so she lost her mother in the form that her mother died. Uh, and then as we discussed, her father uh, decided to raise Shang to be an assassin and decided to stop raising her entirely. Uh, so she kind of lost her father in that experience. And then Chong decided to flee because he didn't want to be raised to be an assassin uh, and told her he would come back for her and then just fucking didn't. Uh, which, I mean, like, kind of shitty, but also, as discussed, he was, like, 15 at the time, and you can't really expect 15-year-olds to be, like, decent people. The thing uh, I'm still trying to figure out is how he got into a school. I mean, he was trained as an assassin, and that's, like, all you really need to be able to get into high school. I was saying, I, there's a lot of steps in there that I'm aware of that I'm not sure he could have done by himself. Uh, he learned a lot of languages. He probably learned a lot of other skills, like creating false documents and such. I like getting hit with sticks in the snow. And like, uh, bureaucratics. Like, just how to cut through bureaucratic red tape. Like, that's probably one of the skills he was trained in. Um, diplomacy. That seems like something that when we would take the time to train him in. Sorry, cool guy McBad dad. There we go. Um, <laughs> it keeps changing, but I like it. I don't even remember what I called him the first time. I just know it's cool guy McSomething, uh, and uh, the something changes depending on how I feel about Wenwu in that moment. That's fair. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, Shang-Chi used his assassin skills to get into high school and changed his name from Shang-Chi to Sean. Uh which he kind of gets made fun of by uh, Katie. By Katie. At... He's like, yeah, you're going into hiding, so you change your name from Shang-Chi to Sean. Not much of a change there. I mean, the movie does uh, kind of pay off the fact that uh, his father knew where he was the whole time and just decided, I'm going to give him a few years. Yeah. Yeah, I gave you some years to be free to yourself, and look what you did with it. You're a fucking valet. Time to he, come back. He tried to sense. hide his identity by going to school and changing his name to Sean. I think he needs the break. Yeah. Clearly, he's a little bit burnt out. Let's just give him a couple years to himself. Let him figure himself out. Actually, that's probably, you know, now that I think about it, maybe his father did actually register him in the school when he found out what he was doing. So when he was trying, <laughs> like, I, I'm going to the school now. I am Sean. It's like, yeah, we already know. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he, he like, shows up on the first day. He's like, hi, uh... Uh, I'm a student here. My dad probably sent the paperwork, but it might have gotten lost in the mail. And they're like, no, no, it arrived. He's like, 
What? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. I'm registered in this school. I Man, can't believe I my plan so worked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So clearly, uh, cool guy McRad Dad uh, registered him in classes, uh, and Sean just thought he got away with it. Um, you know what? I like this like idea of just like he was watching from the scenes and like from the shadows, and every time Sean thought he was like being a genius and getting away with stuff. It was just Wenwu cleaning up his mistakes behind him. Yeah, um, despite the fact that he's like, quote unquote, the villain and the bad guy, he still cares about his family. Yeah. To an extent. Like, anyway. Well, I'll have to honestly, give him the command that my assassins can't kill him, so go ahead and try. Yeah. Like, yeah, that line is not super cool, but he honestly does seem like a genuinely caring father. Uh, in a couple scenes, like he's not the best father, but it doesn't seem entirely out of the question that he cares about his kids. Like he genuinely does seem to care about them, even if he's not great at being a father. Yeah, it's like his family is important to him. He just can't look at his daughter because his daughter reminds him of his dead wife. Also, he is being subtly manipulated by a. Uh, being from another dimension which eats souls or whatever his name is just other world dweller in darkness dweller yeah. in darkness fucking thank you jesus now i can yeah, stop referring yeah, to it as a being from another dimension that eats souls i mean it's the same thing yeah but yeah we never get an official name for it, just what the people of uh the area call it yeah uh so anyways uh he bus boy uh goes to his sister's fighting arena yeah, uh, where we get the best scene of like, well, they're riding into the uh, arena on the elevator, and he signs a data pad that uh, the guy who's working there hands him, unwittingly signing himself up to uh, participate in one of the underground fights. <laughs> and we get the classic Marvel move of making their male star take off their shirt. Yep. It's like, hey, shirtless. Well, uh, they also do call it out, which I do enjoy. Yeah. What happened to your shirt? I don't but, know, uh, they took it off! But now we get the best scene of, like, oh, we're we fighting in one of those cages and just off to the side, like, grungy little cages. Oh, no, no, no. We've got the big important fights up there. Points up to a ring where good old Master Wong is fighting giant fish guy. Abomination from the first Hulk movie. Uh, yeah, he's actually an established yeah. character in fucking the Marvel MCU. It's just he's an established character that most people forgot about. But also he's friends with Wong, which is great. Because mm-hmm. we find out like they, they do mock fights. They're not actually fighting each other. Yeah. I do enjoy how like after the fight it's very clear that like they're like workshopping it together. And Wong's just like, I wouldn't have to kick your ass if you learned to manage your strength. That's why I made you punch yourself. Just like, oh, so clearly that was all planned. I like it. Um so yeah, uh, we see that scene. Uh, another fun little detail is in one of the side fights, another reference to Iron Man 3 happens that we see one of the fighters in one of the side fights is one of the extremist people with like the body glowing stuff. Yeah, one of the extremist um, soldiers apparently lived. Huh. Yeah. Uh, it's one of multiple references to Iron Man 3. That was clearly the movie that they tried to have the most connections with, both overt in certain characters and also subtle background details that you can see. Um, so anyways, uh, Wong fights, uh, the champion of the ring, 
who also happens to be his sister, who also happens to be the owner of the Underground Fighting League. Uh, which I like, I feel like part of the point, I guess not for her, because she's an untrained assassin in the sense that she wasn't trained by anyone except for herself. Um, but for most people, owning a fighting league kind of means you no longer have to fight in the fighting league, but I guess for someone who's been told their entire life that you're a girl, you're not allowed to fight in our fighting ring, owning the fighting ring means you now get to fight in the fighting ring, so I guess girl power, yeah. I mean, it also it. sounds like she's the champion of the ring, too, like undefeated. She's yeah. champion, and also it's a good way for her to practice, because strong people coming in to test their might in this underground fighting ring, who's better to practice against? Oh yeah, I, like I'm all for it. I'm just saying, like, if I was running a underground organization, I also would not be putting my life on the line every oh, yeah, day no. by also being one of the combatants. Um, the fight uh, is a little bit one-sided in that Shang Chi isn't fighting at all, and he's just getting beat up by his sister. Um, he's like half-heartedly defending himself, but just trying to talk to her. Yep. Uh, he then explains to her that uh, cool guy McDad dad, dad uh, is uh, coming after them. Uh, uh, this is after the fight, obviously, when they have their reconciliation. And she explains that six days turned into six weeks, turned into six months, turned into never coming back ever because he doesn't really love her. Um, so... Obviously, Chi is unhappy with him, and as they're discussing how unhappy she is with him, uh, it is discovered that uh, the Ten Rings have already invaded them and yeah, are coming like, for uh, her amulet. Because Shang Chi is like, "Well, if you didn't want to see me, then why did you send me this postcard? I didn't send you a postcard. He hands her the postcard, and they're like, what? I do enjoy how that is never fucking explained. Like, it's not yeah, shown that like the dad sent it to like." Try and get them. Uh, try and get them in the same place, because why would the dad send that? Um, it's never like suggested that someone else sent it to try and get them to reconcile. Like I think the idea a... was that he wanted them both in the same place, so you don't have to make one trip. I suppose that, that's the but most. Then he does logical... still make two trips when they don't get together. Yeah, I mean that's the most logical explanation for how they could run it. Or just write the movie with him traveling to meet his sister. Because, yeah. like, you, you gotta admit, the way it turned out makes for a more interesting, more enjoyable experience than if he were, say, kidnapped back in uh, San, Francis San Francisco, and then all of a sudden his sister also showed up at the complex. Yeah, and we get that awesome yeah, I... bamboo, uh, like, construction raf uh, rafter fight. Yeah, I definitely think this is the way to do it. I'm just saying, it they never like fully addressed where the postcard yeah. came from. To the point, like, there was the mid scene where we get the reveal that uh, cool guy, McFather, parental figure, uh, is uh, under the assumption that their mother is still alive and she's been trapped in Talo, uh, and she's been like whispering to him in the night to tell him to come. Uh, rescue her. Um, like when they had that reveal, part of me thought that like that was true, and the postcard actually came from the mother trying to reconcile the two kids. Uh, and then I realized that that was foolish. 
because Shang-Chi repeatedly said that that was a foolish thing to believe in. And I was like, well, if anyone's right, it's the guy with the cool abs. So I'm going to believe in him uh, because the dad didn't take a shirt off at that point. So I didn't get to know if he had cool abs and should be trusted. Therefore, yeah. I partially believed it, but uh, I was mostly skeptical about it. But what made that all the more interesting was the fact that it really hammered home how much uh, Mr. Bad Guy, Nick Ringison, uh, actually cared about his wife and would do anything, even use his whole underground illegal crime syndicate to try to save her. Also, uh, there's a problem here I want to point out uh, when he starts talking about the Ten Rings and how they operate and how they're a secret organization that controls everything. We're now up to three secret organizations that are controlling everything, apparently. Yep. Yeah, they have like a weekly brunch or something just to discuss who has to be out of what town so no one's yeah, stepping on it's... anyone's tones. It... When we were first introduced to the MCU... Uh, there were no secret organizations. It was just a couple of drunk billionaires playing around with tech. Uh, we then get informed that actually uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of uh, not so much controlling the world, but like protecting the free world from the shadows. And not many people are aware of exactly what they do, but they're there. And then later on, we're revealed to the fact that HYDRA is actually a secret organization uh, within S.H.I.E.L.D. that's ruling, ruling the world. And then we're told that the Widows are secretly controlling the world from the shadows. And then we're told that the Ten Rings are secretly controlling the world from the shadows. Um, I like to believe that all three of them believe this to be true and are also aware of the other two organizations. Like, Hydra is aware of the existence of both the Ten Rings and the Widows and thinks they're manipulating the Ten Rings and the Widows. And the Widows are aware of both the Ten Rings and Hydra and think they're manipulating those two. And the Ten Rings is aware of the other two and thinks they're manipulating them as well. I like to believe that everyone just believes they're in control when really no one is. <laughs> like the but to be fair that's honestly the point we're building to like if we find out there's another secret organization that's running the world from the shadows if they don't at least address the other secret organizations running the world from the shadows then it really is just no one's running the world from the shadows because everyone just thinks they're um, running the world from the shadows we do have a secret or another secret organization the tva i guess that's true the tva is running everything from the shadows <laughs> To be fair, the TVA were running through things from the shadows. From what it looks like, yep. the TVA is no longer running shit. Or at least... They haven't see, this started is the yet. Annoying, the this TVA is the annoying thing about the, the TVA. everything behind everyone. The annoying thing about the TVA is I can't use chronology, but I'm going to use chronology. Uh, I think at this point in the MCU, the TVA probably is still controlling everything from the shadows, and I don't think uh, they will stop controlling things from the shadows. Until we get to, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Spider-Man, uh, between No Way Home, that one. I think that is the point when the TVA fully loses control, because that's the first time we get, like, confirmation of the multiverse. Um, so I think that's the point when the TVA stops having control of everything, chronologically speaking, which is weird, because chronology doesn't make sense in the TVA. Thank you, Marvel, for making this difficult conversation to have. Also, to continue on the tangent a little bit further, I think the one organization that has to have known about the other secret organizations is the TVA. There's no way they were controlling the secret timeline without knowing about the existence of the other secret organizations. But yes, to bring it back to where we were in the movie, 
uh, bamboo Skywalker fight. Not Skywalker. <laughs> um, scaffolding. Bamboo scaffolding fight uh, is where we were in the movie. Though I wouldn't um, mind seeing a bamboo Skywalker fight. I don't even... Is that just, like, people pretending to do a Jedi fight, except instead of lightsabers, they're just holding sticks of bamboo? Is that what that is? Or maybe it's Luke Skywalker made out of bamboo. Who knows? It just sounds delightful. <laughs> it's like the new Groot, except it's not actually a living being. It's just a dummy made out of bamboo that everyone refers to as Luke Skywalker and no one addresses. Like, it, it like he... Oh, they just re... Oh, God, we're going on another tangent. I can feel it already. <laughs> so I'm going to stop myself, but oh, I want to go on this tangent. All right, so uh, bamboo scaffolding fight. Uh, I found this to be... like, So one of the things to talk about with this movie is the incredible fucking fight choreography going on in these movies because it is spectacular. A lot of earlier uh, Marvel films kind of got a little bit right like it wasn't as bad as say uh the born series but they did get a little bit ragged on for like the jump cuts during fights to make it hard to follow exactly what's going on i felt like these movie or this movie in particular had really good choreography and really made the fight scenes enjoyable to watch um at least from my perspective Mm -hmm. um so yeah this bamboo fight scene in particular was really enjoyable to me of watching them fight people on the bamboo and watching Chong Chi get a little bit overwhelmed by all the assassins and then seeing Katie in danger as she's about to fall to her death uh, and him like fighting better now and getting through that fight and rescuing her. And they're fighting um, on he their doesn't own rescue because... her, actually. Yeah, they're oh, fighting yeah, on their doesn't... own because uh, everyone's escaping the club because uh, the evil dudes led by Razor Fist are coming in. And obviously that's who they're fighting right now. And uh, they're fighting alone because Shang-Chi's sister escaped on her own, left them behind. And uh, she doubles back and saves Katie because Shang-Chi's incapable. I mean, he's capable. He just didn't. Uh, He's not capable enough. For now for now um yeah so that fight scene happens we then uh have uh Chong-Chi's sister's amulet get stolen by uh a character who i don't think is ever given a name but uh, uh it's death the- dealer death dealer the uh masked the mask. assassin who is in charge of training or who seemed to be in charge of training shong when he was younger um it actually seems like he might have been in charge of training all of the Ten Rings, but he was, in particular, we see him training uh, Shang-Chi. And he goes out like a bitch. Well, he actually fights pretty capable, but yeah, he is definitely defeated. Um, but Shang-Chi doesn't actually win because in addition to Masked Assassin and Razor Fist, uh, there's one other important character in this scene who helps ensure that the Ten Rings win. And that's the wielder of the Ten Wings, Rad Dad McCool guy. Uh, his name is very inconsistent, and I apologize for that. <laughs> um, I'll figure out what it is by the end of this podcast, maybe. Um, so, he shows up. Uh, this is when the two children are officially kidnapped and brought back to the compound for the most awkward family dinner of all time. Um, 
but not the most awkward. I've had more awkward family dinners. You got to really like f- emphasize with Katie here though. Cause it's like very clearly one of those dinners where like the family has been fighting, but like one of the kids, best friend was invited to dinner before the family started fighting. And now they're just stuck at a dinner table with a dad who's being very passive aggressive to his kids. Yeah, um, and they're the outsider and have no room to talk whatsoever. But they, like, managed to, like, continue talking because, I mean, they cast Aquafina. You can't really cast Aquafina and then expect her to sit mm-hmm. silently on the side of a scene. True. Um, so this is where we get the reveal that uh, rad guy, McCool dad, uh, cool guy, McRad dad, is that what I was calling him initially? You just go with what makes sense to you. Mr. McDad uh, <laughs> explains that he believes that the mother's still alive and has been calling him from Talo, and he intends to invade Talo. And they tell him that he's crazy, and he shows that the amulets he stole from them uh, show the way into Talo, and that the way will be open in a couple days' times, and it's only open one day a year. Uh, and that's when he'll walk his entire army in, and defeat Talo and rescue his uh, beloved wife. Um, from Magical Gate, for some reason. Yeah, from a Magical Gate that she is trapped behind. Um, this is obviously a great plan that everyone's immediately on board with, except for, you know, the characters we're following, such as Shang-Chi, uh, Jai Ling, I think was his sister's name, yep. uh, and, and Katie are uh, not on board with this plan, but everyone else is, which is unfortunate because they're the only three we actually care about. You know who else isn't? Morris and Trevor. Yes. So this is where we get... Uh, so also during this dinner is when uh, fucking Wenwu McDad... Uh, I'm sad now. Um, when he reveals that uh, he's so famous around the world that when an American wanted to perform terrorist acts, he stole his own name. He didn't steal his name. He stole the name of the Ten Rings uh, and then pretended to be the leader and called himself uh, Mandarin. Um, That's when uh, he reveals that he's aware of all that happening and uh, he was not happy with the actor who portrayed him as a chicken dish. Um, Which I guess is fair. I'd be upset if someone used my name to try and take over the world, except instead of actually using my name, they just went by beef and broccoli or something. No, no, I take it back. That'd be sick. I'd be super into it if someone pretended to be me, called themselves called themselves beef and broccoli Tide Pod and tried to take (laughs) over the world. You're right. Tide Pod was a necessary addition to the name, Uh, Matt. Beef and broccoli Tide Pod. Oh fuck! I'm gonna look into legally changing my name. <laughs> the most menacing. I mean, there was a guy back in the day who changed his name to Dot Com Guy. Yeah, I can probably get away with it. Uh, beef and broccoli Tide Pod. Fuck, you're you you're too good at this, Matt. Uh, you're a menace to society. Um, so, uh, he locks his children into uh underground dungeon type area I guess until he goes to Talo because he knows that the once he has the mother back they'll realize that he was right all along uh, or his name's not uh, cool guy McAlwee's right um, so he locks them in the dungeon and that's where they meet Trevor Slattery the actor who portrayed the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 
the other best character in this movie. Uh, uh, yes, the other best character being Maurice. You're right. Um, My favorite thing with Trevor's character, though, is when he's like trying to give that rousing speech about why he became an actor. And he's like, and then it's like, how did they get those monkeys to ride those horses? But then I realized they weren't riding the horses. They were acting. Yeah, acting and he's like riding the horses, and I still can't get my mind around it. It's boggling. Yeah, uh, and like to the point where like Shang Chi calls him out on. He's like, "Wait, so you got into acting because you didn't realize the apes were real?" And then Trevor Slattery uh, adds an amendment to a sentence. He's like, "Really acting? Yeah, no, I couldn't believe it. So that's why I became an actor." It's like, oh, he still doesn't realize that the apes weren't actually apes. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Um. So yes, they break out, they steal Razor Fist's car. Uh, I laugh in the audience, realizing that his name is Razor Fist. Uh, and then uh, we go to the mystical forest of yeah. bamboo that yeah, protects Talo. But also his uh, little pet, Trevor's pet, little... Uh, Morris. 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 The little headless, four-winged... Matt, please don't call attention to that. He's very uh, bashful about the fact I'm, that he doesn't I'm, have I'm, a face. I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah. Little four winged bear thing. Yep. Which is our first look at a mystical creature from this supposed tallow place. What and I find Trevor fascinating. surprised that uh, they can see him. And what I he thought he was just going insane. Yeah. What I find fascinating about Morris, though, is uh, supposedly the reason that he's in the compound at all is the Ten Rings discovered him in a forest. And thought, like, this is a sign of Talo. Uh, so they captured him. But then, like, rather than keeping this mystical creature anywhere on display, they immediately threw it into the dungeon and forgot about it. Uh, which is, like, worse than a zoo. It's like if you wanted to open a zoo, but you never let anyone walk through your zoo. It's like you just put animals in a zoo for the purpose of having them there and not for, like, actually having any entertainment gained out of having them there. Uh, to um, be fair, um... Trevor was the only one who could understand more, so I don't yeah, think they understood that he was what, of any use. Yeah, for whatever oh, I reason. It's like, I have no idea why he can understand Morris. Like, all I know is that he was in the dungeon because they were going to kill him, but they found him funny, so they didn't. Yeah, because he goes into Macbeth when he's about to die. Yep. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I'm not claiming that they should have realized that Morris was of use. I'm just saying, like, it's a weird concept to go out and capture a mystical creature and then immediately put it in your basement and lock the door and never walk down there. That's what I'm taking issue yeah. with. Yeah. Um, as a pet, at least. Yeah, like, if he, if fucking Morris was just, like, rolling around, like, if while they were having their dinner in, like, the background, you just saw Morris rolling around on the ground, like, in the background, I would be immediately on board with them capturing Morris. It's just the idea that they captured him, threw him in the dungeon, and then just locked the key and forgot about D it. To be fair... Locked the key, locked we, the door. We lose a really good joke of when Morris first gets introduced, if that's the case, where it comes around the corner and then uh, they freak out. And then yeah. Trevor's like, oh, you can see it. Oh, thank God. I thought he was in my head. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Uh, so yeah, uh, Morris explains that he wants them to take him back to Talo and he can get them into Talo before the gate opens because there's another path that he can navigate and there's a 90% chance that they'll survive. And by 90, he means 19. And you know what? They're yeah. into it. Yeah. And uh, we should probably also mention that Talo is guarded by this mystical bamboo forest maze, which only opens up 
as we mentioned, this one time a year. Unless you know the correct path to go through and when and where to enter it. Which Morris does. does. Yeah. So he guides them in before Mr. Bad Dude, Mr. Bad Dad, can get in there. Oh no, now he's a bad dad. The one thing he's not is a bad dad. He's not a good dad, but I wouldn't call him a bad dad. I'd call him a cool guy, Mc... is a dad. Um, <laughs> this is getting worse, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so they get to Talo. Uh, they're immediately turned away from Talo until their aunt shows up, and she's like, wait, these kids are my nieces and nephews, and also the, my nieces and nephew's best friend, and also an actor that my nieces and nephew recently met and befriended, and also their mystical pet, who's actually from here, so we definitely shouldn't turn that one away. Um, so they know, get That's Trevor from Iron Man 3. <laughs> oh no, the Mandarin! Uh, like, if someone referred to him as the Mandarin in that scene, that also would have been fucking great. That's true. I, I liked how they were just introducing themselves, and then Trevor jumps out of the car and he's like, And I'm here too, I'm just an entertainer, don't mind me. Yeah. Or when he fakes uh, so... his death in the uh, final fight, so he's just laying there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like Morris almost an emotional scene, because yeah, Morris runs over, sees him collapse, and starts like, nudging him to like try and resuscitate him, and you think, oh no, Trevor Slattery's dead, and Morris is having a tough time dealing he with it. He died off-screen, and we didn't even get to see it. And then he like leads up a little bit, and he's like, I'm not actually dead, I'm acting, now play along! And then he goes back to being collapsed. And then Morris flips over onto his back. <laughs> yep. And uh, Trevor just looks at him and was like, well, that's a good job. Which, I mean, solid plan. I don't think it works out for them, because once again, these are soul-devouring monsters, and I don't think they're really, like, checking for people who are lying your ground, on the ground. I think they're just checking for souls, which means they probably would notice that uh, Trevor Slaughter is still alive. Except, wait, nope, now that I think about it, Trevor Slaughter probably just doesn't have a soul. Alright, we're good. Um... Not that he's, like, a bad guy. I just assume he doesn't have a soul. That's all. Um, so. Why is my brain? Yeah, um, when they get to the village, they're taken to, like, their mother's memorial, and they're told about, like, the purpose of why they're guarding the village and the evil of the dweller in the darkness behind the mountain, in the mountain. And how their father seems to have been tricked by the Dweller in the Darkness into thinking that their mother is alive and imprisoned there. In because the Dweller knows that the ringings are one of the few things that could open the gate. Yes. So he gave the wielder of the rings a good old ring on the ring telephone. He was like, Banana phone? homie. Ring, 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 ring. Banana phone. Yeah, calls him up. She's like, yo, I'm your wife. Not really, but I'm just going to pretend to be your wife and be like, yo, can you get me out of here? It's weird that he would agree to that. Yeah, it's weird that the Dweller in Darkness said, yo, I'm your wife, not really, but let's just pretend. And Wenwu, cool guy, my husband, uh, was immediately on board with that plan. It just shows how emotionally crushed he was by his wife. Being dead. Yeah. You don't, you don't like, turn your back on family. I I like the idea of like Dweller in Darkness being very open about the fact that he's not actually uh, Wenwu's wife. 
only for one would be like, yeah, but as long as we're pretending, let's just not stop pretending. I'll get you out. But then you have to continue pretending to be my wife. And like the dweller in darkness got a little bit uncomfortable. But when we had already like started opening the gate, and the dweller's like, I don't like, I don't want to be your wife though. He's like, but the gate's opening. You're my wife now. Don't talk so nonsense, dear. <laughs> so that's pretty much what happens. Um, Gotta pick the kids up from school. Oh, fuck that. Um, so obviously they are explained that whole concept. And uh, they're also given some beautiful dragon scale armor because uh, all the weapons and armor in this area, well, not all the armor, all the weapons are made out of dragon scales. And it kind of seems like they're the only ones who actually have dragon scale armor. Everyone else just seems to kind of be wearing robes for the most part. We're also told that it was a dragon that sealed the Dweller in Darkness in the mountain. Yeah, the Great the pre- uh, the great Protector yes. uh, is how they refer to him. Um, yeah, and he helped seal the gate the last time. Otherwise, the Dweller in Darkness would have destroyed them long ago. Um, and uh, they're also told that these weapons are the only ones that actually work against these uh, soul-eating monsters from another dimension. Um and we get the classic scene to reference that later on, too, when uh, they're fighting uh, the Ten Rings. And it's like, we have to work together to stop this thing. It's like, huh, we don't need your help. And it kills, uh, I believe, a Death Dealer. And he goes out like a yeah. bitch. And he's like, I think we should work together. And then he cuts yeah, off the sword from his hand and then puts another one on. Fist. He's like, yeah, we don't need you. We're going to take you out and we're going to follow our leader. And then sees the action of the soul suckers like, uh... On second thought, yeah, you've got a good plan. Yeah, he picks up one of the, like, pole arms with, like, a dragon scale blade, breaks off the blade, and attaches it to his wrist where his uh, razor fist used to be. Well, it's still um, arguably a razor fist. Yeah. A more powerful razor fist. He got an upgrade. He got a side grade, let's be honest. Uh, this one can fight soul-eating demons, but it isn't... Uh, it doesn't do fire damage anymore because it doesn't look like it's got the heated tip. That's true. Um... So, like, if this were D&D, I don't know that it would actually be a better weapon. It'd just be a change of damage type. Hmm. Um, so, uh, now that that conversation happened, um, uh, during this fight, it's also revealed that, well, Shang-Chi asked his aunt how his mother managed to beat their father because she was the only one who has ever beaten their father in a fight. Everyone else, he has just kind of walked past, not having to worry too much. Uh, and she explains that her mother really knew who she was, so she didn't have to worry about holding anything back. Uh, and that's what Shang-Chi needs to do. He needs to accept both the good and the bad inside of him. Uh, you see, I'm positive it's that his mother gave him the fuck me eyes when they first met, and he oh, couldn't that's, beat her. That's absolutely what happened, is fucking cool guy wants to take over the world, <laughs> shows up uh, at Ta Lo, and he's like, I am going to invade Talo. And she's oh. like, no, you're not. I'm going to fight you to stop you. And then they start fighting. And the entire time they're fighting, the like sexual tension is like so thick that you would need a razor oh, fist to cut God. through it. A regular <laughs> knife wouldn't do it. Oh, my God. Uh, and that, oh, that just makes the one of the upcoming scenes all the mu- all that much better. Well, I was also going to say, like, when, it, it makes it very awkward. When Shang-Chi Shang drops down in front of the gate to fight off his father. He starts off the fight exactly like uh, his father and mother did, and he gives his father that look. <laughs> and I mean, the father's like, "Oh hell no!" and then punches them away. It, to be fair, it is. It would be a very awkward scene if Aunt Nam was like, "Okay, how did someone beat my father? Like, how did he, she beat my father?" I was like, "Well, first, you got to seduce your father." 
Well, like, it does kind of explain when Wu's immediate, like, visceral reaction to <laughs> Shang-Chi jumping in front of him. Like, Shang-Chi jumps in front of him, does, like, the same, like, facial expression, and, like, cool guy doesn't want to be that dead, is very clearly like, no, stop giving me the fuck me eyes, we're fighting now, this is a fight, this is, no more fuck me eyes, this, this is not what this is. Um, but you know what? Kudos to him for, uh... Setting some boundaries with his kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's a line that must not be crossed. So, uh, yeah, it's explained that he has to really know himself. Um, but, like, I guess that could still be true, and it's just uh, the mom really knowing herself meant she just really knew she wanted to have sex with him, and that's how that worked out. Um, but, yeah, Shang-Chi seems to take this as... I need to accept both the good and the bad, which means I have to accept all the bad and ignore all the good. So I am just the assassin I was trained to be, and I will do what I was trained to do, and I will kill my father. Um, which, I mean, he's accepting half of, him, half of himself there, so he's halfway he's towards able to beating control his half of the rings at the beginning, or at the start of the Well, fight. at this point, he's not controlling any of the rings. Well, uh, not, not yet. Yeah, and he gets knocked into uh, the lake by his dad. Yeah, he, get, he gets knocked out of the ring. Yeah, he gets knocked into the lake by his dad. Uh, and as he's drowning, that's when he starts to remember the good in him and all the things his mother told him about how he has the heart of the dragon. Uh, and then he sees a dragon and rides the dragon to save the day. Um, he and doesn't. He also, he also remembered the uh, like the forms that his mother taught him. He's like, oh, I'll use these to fight against the rings. Yep. And so he fights his dad. Uh, they're relatively evenly matched. Like he he's handling his own, but and he's probably gonna beat his dad, but he also has uh accepted that he's not a killer and he's not going to kill his dad. Um so he manages to actually take all the rings over the course of the fight. And he starts doing the Kamehameha, and then he stops because he doesn't want to kill his dad. And just when he stops, uh the uh dweller in darkness busts through the gate and shows up in the world. Uh, and he makes it clear that he wants to eat some souls, and those two are the closest to him. In fact, it looks like he's going to eat Shang-Chi, which would be terrible, as everyone can tell. Yeah, the that... movie would end right there. I would love it if that's how one of the Marvel movies ended, <laughs> is they get to the final climactic scene, and then the bad guy just kills the good guy and smash cut to credits. This I mean, that, that's, that's what happened in Infinity Night. War. That's literally what happened in Infinity War. <laughs> oh, you're right. That is just <laughs> Infinity War that I'm referencing. My bad. Oh, fuck. They, they did do that. They did have the balls to do that thing. Yeah, but then they had also, to I don't know why I said I loved it. That was a very emotionally traumatic <laughs> moment for me. Uh, so, yeah, he looks like he's going to take Shang-Chi. Looks like it would be a bad time. Uh, and then... Uh, when Wu, cool guy, makes sacrificing dad, uh, takes the rings back, pushes Shang-Chi out of the way, takes his place, gets his soul sucked, and his last act, while he still has his soul, is to fully bequeath the rings onto Shang. Um, and this is when the climax starts. Yeah. Big old fight with the Dweller in Darkness. Baba blue rings, hello golden rings. I don't know why I said this is when the climax started. The climax started, like, when the Ten Rings started fighting Yeah, Tower. this is the giant it, CG dragon fight that also has featuring Shang-Chi and his sister. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's between the 
and the, the one arrow protector from Katie. and the dweller in darkness. In fact, Katie, Katie wasn't puts there, in they fucking lost. work in the fight. Yeah, they would have lost if it wasn't for Katie, uh, who learned how to fire an arrow like the day before and is already fucking killing it. Uh, and by it, I mean the dweller in darkness. It's not like full on murder, but she's what doing Katie, well in the fight. Yeah. What full on murder with Shang-Chi. Hawkeye. <laughs> I think that's because, Hawkeye like, series that's Kate Bishop, but uh, sure, why not? Because uh, Katie like says that she doesn't try anything because she does doesn't want to disappoint herself and doesn't want to disappoint everyone else around her. But then she finds out that she's actually quite good at the bow and arrow. Well, I think the implication is that she could be good at anything because the explicit line that she's told is, if you don't aim at anything, you'll never hit your target. And it's just like... It kind of seemed like it was a call out to all the like people who are lost in their lives, like fucking do something, and that's when you'll actually start being able to do something. Uh, is essentially what that line was. Was the reason that she's not great at anything is because she's never actually applied herself and tried to be great at anything. Um, also, I believe uh, the character played by Aquafina is not actually an MCU character at all. I mean, she's an MCU character. She's just not. Uh, oh, sorry, a Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that I believe is true. I think she was created for this. I think it was literally just they wanted uh, Asian actors, obviously, because this movie kind of celebrates a lot of Asian heritage. Not really celebrates, but there hasn't been a lot of representation in the MCU, so they wanted to do a movie that focused a lot on people of Asian descent. And Aquafina is a very famous person of asian descent uh so it kind of made sense to put her in the movie and if you're going to put her in the movie you kind of have to write a character around her uh and like she fit really well like she made sense in the movie but yes it it would be hard to see her playing an established character in marvel rather than just establishing a new character to play her yeah or to be played Mm -hmm. by her um so yes she fires an arrow uh hits the fucking Dweller in Darkness right in the jugular. Right uh, when the Dweller in Darkness is chowing down on the soul of the dragon. Yeah. Of the Great Protector. Uh, it's explicitly said that if he manages to eat the Great Protector's soul, our dimension is lost. There's fu- there's no coming back from that. Um, So it's, uh, it's ba- going to be a bad time. And then she saves uh, the Great Protector. And then Shang deliver- Shang-Chi delivers the finishing blow to uh, the Dweller in Darkness by actually accomplishing the Kamehameha he was threatening to use on his father. Yeah, he blows it to pieces. Uh, Not even blowing it to pieces. He blows it up so aggressively that all of the, like, smaller soul-eating monsters are also destroyed in the explosion. Which is good, I guess. I I thought of it more of, like, you know, you defeat the hive mind, kind of like the first Avengers movie. Oh, fair. You destroyed the big thing and all the small things just kind of die yep. as a result. That mm-hmm. that also makes sense. Um, and so... Because uh, the small one's purpose was obviously to feed the big one. Yes. Um, and that's kind of the end of the movie proper. Uh, there's also a post-credit scene. Oh, I guess uh, there's a slight setup to the post-credit scene in that just before the credits, uh, Shang-Chi Amazing and Katie... payoff to the beginning of the movie. Yeah, uh, so in the beginning of the movie, they're having dinner with one of their friends from high school, uh, and they're explaining what their life is. Well, not even explaining what their life was like, explaining the fun shenanigans they got into in high school. And then their friend from high school, like, 
has a line about how they need to do something because uh, Katie is a very, I forget what quality she ascribes to Katie, uh, but she does explain that Chong knows four languages and it's crazy how he hasn't found a way to do something with that, which is a weird sentiment to share because knowing four languages is not exactly an employable skill. Um, but that's fair. Uh, and then also in this... that he's incredibly intelligent. Also. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, knowing multiple languages is actually a very employable skill. Uh, fun fact, uh, people that know multiple languages actually have a higher rate of being hired. Yep. Th- that's fair. I, I misspoke. I'm just saying, like, it. there are other qualities uh, to ascribe to him. Just saying that the fact that he knows four languages uh, is the most impressive thing that she could think of. If anything, him. she should have pointed out the fact that he's now known as Busboy on a apparently a global scale and could monetize that. Uh, I believe in the first scene, it's actually before the busboy shenanigans because he goes from busboy straight to flying to uh, Macau to meet up with his sister. Oh, that's fair. Um, but yeah, so in the final scene, they're back to having drinks with their friend from high school, except now they're explaining how they saved the entire dimension from the dweller in darkness. Uh, and she's like, and all right, I get it. Like, you're, you're trying to make fun of us for what we said the last time, but... Do you really think stringing this fantastic, bizarre tale of all this fantasy nonsense is going to help solve anything? It's not going to fix the issue that you guys are not responsible. You think this fantasy bullshit exists in a world where everyone dis- well, half of everyone disappeared for five years and yep. an alien showed up? And meanwhile, uh, while she's giving her rant, there's a mystic portal appearing behind them. And then Wong walks out and it's just like, Chang-Chi! Is there a Shang-Chi in this restaurant? Uh, which was good, but I would have enjoyed the movie a thousand times better if he walked out and he was like, Bus Boy! Is Bus Boy in the restaurant? Um, that that would have been very amusing to me. Um, but it didn't happen, and that's okay. Sometimes our dreams don't come true. But yeah, the entire restaurant, including their friends, just goes silent and just watch Gaping Jaws. Like, uh, our friends just got called through a magical portal. What if they were telling the truth? Uh, and then we uh, cut to credits, and then the post-credit slash mid-credit scene is uh, uh, Wong, Katie, and Shang-Chi uh, sitting together discussing the rings while over those like uh, screen projector conferencing systems that we saw in Endgame, we also see Bruce Banner and uh, Captain Marvel. Also is immediately called away on important business yet again. Yeah, she makes it very clear that while the most of the MCU is responsible for protecting Earth, she's responsible for protecting everywhere else, and she's very busy all the time. Um, a very interesting detail here is that it's Bruce Banner and not the Professor or Professor Hulk or whatever it's called. Yeah, it's called. It's he is reverted back to being Bruce Banner. Um. We do see that his arm is still in a sling, so clearly he's still... Uh, presumably he's still suffering from the effects of the snap that he performed, and maybe mm. that's why he's no longer uh, in Hulk form, but it's unclear exactly what's going on there. Uh, for a moment, I like when I was leaving the theater, I happened to overhear other people discussing it. Like, man, Bruce Banner broke his arm! And it's like, I don't think that's it, because... I feel like the Hulk would stop that from happening. And also we did very recently see extreme trauma happen to the Hulk's arm. So I assume that's actually what happened there. Um, 
Yeah, I think they're just hinting at because the next time we're going to see the Hulk is going to be in She-Hulk uh, that we know of anyways. So I think they were setting up that and looks like probably the Captain Marvel. But I think the big point of them being here is so that they could both identify that they had no fucking clue what the rings were because like they're yeah. not alien. And he's like, it's not from Earth. Yeah. They, so and they are ancient. Yeah. So we get uh, comments from the three experts in the room. Wong explains that it's not a magical artifact in any of the Sanctum Sanctorum's records. And uh, when he used them back in Tallow, they could feel the energy of them all the way back in Carmitage. Yeah. Um, so that power rippled. Carol Danvers explains it's not an alien artifact that she's aware of. And Bruce Banner explains that it's not vibranium or anything like that uh any material that they've uh experienced on earth before so it's essentially what they're saying is it's none of the big three uh as we remember from uh uh not robots mephisto not and winter mephisto aliens yeah it's not uh, the big three so it's not uh wizards robots or aliens um i mean it's probably a little bit of all, all three, three, but it's it's not any of the three that we've seen before. Uh, Advanced uh, technology from spacefaring wizard dragons. dragons. Yeah, most likely. Uh, that is presumably the reveal we're going to get, but as we've already stated, the MCU does like to do things a little bit differently from the comics, partially to adapt it better to screen, and also partially just because then it keeps the viewers on their feet, because if it's exactly like it was in the comics then all of their plot points would be ruined by fans of the comics before yep. it got to the screen. Well, uh, so since we've actually kind of just gone through all the story here, uh, some speculation on uh, the concept of the rings and what that beacon is going to, that I thought uh, might be worth mentioning. Yeah. Uh, so someone pointed out that the thing that Wen Wu uh, was experiencing with his wife talking to him kind of is eerily close to the end credit scene from Scarlet Witch with her children calling out to her. Mephisto. Well, no, uh, not necessarily Mephisto specifically, but the uh, idea is that both this movie and uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, uh, WandaVision specifically, uh, were setting up the Doctor Strange movie. And whatever yep. this thing is that's in the other dimension is going to be the villain of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And, and it's trying to get someone who's powerful enough to break it out of this dimension. So Shang-Chi's gauntlets or Ten Rings... Uh, Wanda's just hex magic specifically. So we might see powerful characters being kind of manipulated by this thing moving forward, and that could be what leads them to Avengers 5. Because it is even possible that Avengers 5 might be sooner than we think, but they just haven't announced it because they don't want to reveal anything with the trailer or the title. Yeah, similar to how they, while they announced Infinity War Part 2, they didn't give a full announcement of Endgame until they were comfortable because they knew the name Endgame might give things away. Exactly. So the idea is that whatever this thing in the other dimension is, that's where the beacon's going to. And it's kind of like uh, an alert that like someone that's powerful enough is in this dimension. Yeah. Um, one of the other theories I heard was, uh, so the whole idea behind Fing Fang Foom and his race uh, is that the reason that these uh, ancient alien dragons from outer space came to Earth in the first place was their, their race is a whole fucking ordeal. Uh, they're alien, uh, alien dragons, and on their planet, it's very peaceful. Um, but like approximately half the aliens on their planet find that peace to be very boring. 
And so they run around conquering other planets just to like give themselves something to do. Uh, and so when they came to Earth, they were planning on setting it up to be conquered. Uh, and so one of the theories I was reading uh, relates to how the rings were, yes, a thing that the alien dragons from outer space were going to use to help conquer, but were more so used to send a message back to Fin Fang Foom's original planet to inform them that the planet was now ready to be conquered once they had done all their like setup work in the first place. And so the idea being that when Shang actually used the rings to their full power, uh, he unintentionally also set off that beacon informing the alien dragons from outer space that the planet is now ready to be conquered. Yeah, like Thor said in the first one, that using the Tesseract weapons would just let the rest of the universe know that humans are ready for a more advanced type of war. Yeah. So for all we know, it could very well be that we're going to find out that what that beacon was was... I think we can all agree that the most likely explanation was it was informing a big bad, whether that big bad is going to be uh, for Marvel and the Avengers as a whole, or for Shang-Chi specifically, it was informing a big bad that it's time to come to this planet and check it out. Uh, or this dimension, so. The I most mean, I like... Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna, there's still the chance that this is just, they were very vague about it because they still don't know yet. Yeah. Uh, it's entirely likely, and in fact, that's the most likely explanation, is that they don't know what they're going to do with it, but it is highly likely that it will end up being that the beacon called to some dark force out in the universe, and that's going to be a problem for them in the future. It is highly unlikely, given the way the MCU and movies in general work, that what that beacon was, was calling out a friendly guy who's going to come hang out and drink some beers with them. I'm not saying that's not what it was, I'm just saying it's unlikely that that's what it was. Did we have anything else we wanted to discuss on the topic of the movie itself? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Keith, anything else to address about the movie? No, the whole uh, idea of like what was sending the beacon to is really the only thing I had. Cool. Um, one thing I wanted to add before we get into wrapping up was not so much about the movie itself, but about what how the casting of the movie ended up happening, which was uh, Simu Liu, the actor who played Shang-Chi, um, essentially had been wanting to be a superhero for a while. Not like actually be a superhero, but wanted to play a superhero. So the moment he heard that uh, Shang-Chi got announced as a, like a twinkle in the eye of a Marvel Studio executive, uh, he just tweeted out at Marvel, so we doing this or what? And uh, apparently that got him cast as Shang-Chi. So, I mean, all the power to the guy. So you're telling um, me I should just start tweeting at Marvel, we doing this or what, without any context? Uh, specifically, I think he also added, like, hashtag Shang-Chi to his tweet. I'm not 100% certain of that. So specifically, anytime Marvel announces that they are planning on doing a movie and have put no work into casting or anything like that, you should tweet them, so we doing this or what? Hashtag the movie that they just announced. Okay. Like, hashtag... Scarlet I'm, Witch. I'm, hashtag I'm random extra. When and where should I be? Hashtag Thanos 2. Uh, well, so we doing this or what? Hashtag Mephisto. 
That's the role of a lifetime there we go. right there. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, if that's it, do uh, did anyone correctly guess our topic on Instagram? So we did actually get two guesses. So for the first one, uh, it's from Tachi underscore Camargo, and uh, she said, Kim's convenience. So ha ha ha. Very funny. Very amusing, Tachi. Um, but no, you're wrong. All right, cool. I don't get it. Uh, Kim's Convenience is the uh, CBS sitcom that Simi Liu kind of got his big break on. Okay. Uh, Anything else? Uh, We had one other guest, and this is from J underscore 13, and they said Mothman. Of course. Uh, All right, cool. Also incorrect. Um, In that case, have we received any emails or anything like that? Emails, comments, questions, corrections. I don't think we've received any new emails. Nope. All right. Uh, and then in that case, recommendations uh, for... Nope, not recommendations. Questions. Uh, did we get answers to our last question? What was uh, about sports that should be done in the style of... Uh, Shaolin soccer. So Shaolin other sports. Did anyone give suggestions for Shaolin sports? Uh, so Shaolin sports, we do not have any suggestions. I guess the best ones have been done. That's fair. Uh, a little upsetting, but acceptable, I suppose. Uh, question about this episode. Did anyone think of a question we should ask the audience? Uh, I have one if no one can think of a what better one. What was your one. favorite nickname that Peter gave <laughs> That That is the question I had thought of if no one could think of a better version of a question. I mean, the so obvious yes, is one the... is just who's getting called on that beacon. That Yes. Uh, feel free to answer either of those questions. I will accept answers to either question. Um, but, yeah. Uh, if that's the case, recommendations. Matt, what are you recommending? Yes. I recommend the uh, newly released game that came out and I've been playing almost nonstop as much as I can in my free time, Tales of Arise. Tell me about Tales of Arise. Fantastic game, new JRPG in the Tales of series. Takes place in a world that has suffered through 300 years of tyranny and you play as a band of main characters fighting back for liberation and freedom to try to save civilization who has been enslaved for all these many years. Absolutely gorgeous looking game with the visuals and the animations and oh my god the sound effects of the uh, special abilities. Just mind-boggling every time. Very nice. Keith, what's your recommendation? So I'm actually going to recommend a movie called Red Cliff. Uh, So it's kind of like a well, it's a John Woo movie that's like a very stylized action that is the Battle of Red Cliff uh, from the Three Kingdoms period of China. And it also stars the actor that played Wen Wu in this movie. Oh, uh, Tony Leung? Yep. Nice. Uh, I am going to recommend uh, The Tuxedo, the Jackie Chan movie, uh, because it's about, about, about movie. a guy who performs uh, martial arts 
but also does things that normal humans shouldn't be able to do and also exists in uh takes place primarily in western civilization so it has some parallels to shang chi and some uh perpendiculars as well uh it's how i'm referring to the... things that are very different yeah replace the rings with the high-tech tux <laughs> Man, I'm going to watch that this weekend. Forgot about that movie. <laughs> Turns out my recommendation wasn't just to the audience, it was also to Matt. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, in that case, I think we can start to wrap up today's episode. So I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to listen to today's episode. Remember that you can find us on all major podcasting platforms. Uh, we also upload these as videos to YouTube. And make sure that you can reach out to us on Instagram by following our Instagram account, What Is My Podcast About, or emailing us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. If you have a question uh, that you would like us to answer instead of us giving you questions, or if you just know what we should do our podcast about, be sure to reach out to us at any of the stuff I listed above and tune back in 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 a fortnight for our next episode. What are we doing for next episode? It's funny you should say Fortnite, because I was just thinking I'd probably sleep through the next one. Uh, I actually like being the wizard master when I sleep.